Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of RealCom Live. We celebrated our one-year anniversary last week, which was a lot of fun. I'm going to actually try to get through this intro really quick because uh, we were just in the green room talking with the guests. We are absolutely going to run out of time. We have got uh, three phenomenal guests, John Gilbert, EVP and COO of Rudin Management, longtime friend, Sarah Shank, Managing Director and Global Head of Innovation and PGM, Real, at PGM Real Estate, and Justin Siegel, President of Boxer. We have got some innovative executives on this, uh, on this uh, episode today, and I am my number one disappointment is that we're not going to be able to talk for 60 minutes because these are executive leaders who understand technology and the impact of real estate, not at a tactical level, but at a strategic level, how it impacts how we use, how it impacts how we operate, transact. And I think you're all going to enjoy um, the conversations. Now, before we bring them on, just a quick remembering that, uh, or uh, reminder that uh, two weeks from now, a little bit more than two weeks from now, we're going to be uh, converging in Scottsdale, Arizona. And we'll be at RealCom uh, 2021, RealCom and IvyCon. And it's uh, going to be at the beautiful Western Carolina Resort in Scottsdale, beautiful weather. We are so excited about this event. Despite a pandemic and despite the fact that it's hard getting people together, we are uh, really genuinely excited about uh, who's going to be there and what we're going to be talking about. And actually, next week, our show is going to be focused on the conference and all the different components of it. So we hope that you join us in this particular conversation today has to deal with a meeting that we hold every year uh, called the Executive Leadership, uh, Real Estate Executive Leadership Innovation Summit or meeting. And the point of this meeting is to bring in senior level folks, not just the IT folks, but the senior level folks who run the real estate organizations and to get them to understand uh, the strategic impacts that technology is gonna make. So with that, let's bring on our guests, John, Sarah, and Justin, and get this conversation started. How are you all doing? I see a John, I see a Sarah, I don't see a Justin, so hopefully we'll get that figured out shortly. There, here comes Justin. All right, so I'm good. How are you both? Good, thanks. Doing well. Doing well. John, I believe you're in New York. Yes, sir. Sarah, Boston. Yeah. All right, and I think Justin's actually in Mexico right now, and so hopefully we'll get him back in a second. So um, before we start, um, I just want to pay a little bit of uh, special attention to John. No offense, Sarah, but John and I have known each other for a long, long time. The first time that we uh, were together, I believe it was in 1999 in, in New York, he had walked me through 55 Broad Street. And I believe, John, if I'm not mistaken, we gave you a digi for that project in 1999. We sat in a little coffee shop in Manhattan, a little uh, deli, I believe. And your vision, your tenacity about the impact of real estate and technology has not changed in 20 plus years, okay? And I also just wanna bring a little note to the fact that it was um, probably um, 2020, where we gave out uh, 20, Lifetime Achievement Awards, and John was one of the recipients of that award. And uh, I just want to say thank you for your full commitment to the industry and your tenacity at an executive leadership level on pushing this conversation. So, and Sarah, you're a little newer to the to the conversation, but so glad to have you here as well. So, before we get started on the questions, John, can you 30, 45 seconds give the audience a little bit of your background uh, in this intersection of real estate technology? Sure, uh, and thanks for the kind words, Jim. I, my, I kind of think that I should be uh, riding off into the sunset on a horse after that. Uh, you should. Uh, that introduction. Um, 
Uh, I don't have one here in New York, but uh, yeah, we're we're in New York. Uh, the the Rudin family owns and operates roughly 15 million square feet, all privately owned. Uh, Ten of it is office, five of it's residential. As as Jim mentioned, we've been you know trying to crack this smart building uh, nut since the the early 90s. Uh, we had a vacant building that stood vacant for six years at 55 Broad Street. And how do we differentiate that building from all other vacant buildings in lower Manhattan at the time? And we chose technology and the internet was just created and uh, we haven't looked back. So it's uh, it's been digital a great- Digital Sandbox. Didn't, I remember you came up with a concept called Digital Sandbox. Digital Sandbox. We had the digital hearth. We. Uh, uh, it, we, we really stole a lot of our, our ideas from uh, someone up in Boston, Sarah, uh, by the name of uh, Nicholas Megaponte, who was running the MIT uh, Media Lab at the time. Yeah, yeah but it, it's a testimony to how this conversation is not new. It's been going on for a very long time with people like you. And, and, and that's going to lead to our conversation after the break about John examining 20 years plus, 20 25 years, the pace, the cadence, the success. We're going to get into that after the break. Sarah, uh, your background on your journey to real estate and technology. Um, yes, thanks for having me. Um, my background is 100% in real estate. So I, my first job was a property accounting. I've done asset management. I've done acquisitions and dispositions. Um, moved into portfolio management right around the same time that VC money realized that uh, real estate was a big potential asset class. Um, and um, we were early adopters at my last company of a lot of the um, bigger uh, players now. Um, I switched from my previous company to PGM um, Real Estate about 18 months ago. So I have been um, virtual for my entire time as global head of innovation. Wow. Um, setting up a global innovation um, group, uh, which didn't exist before. Um, one of the things that we were talking about before the call was um, this is something that the CEO and um, COO of PGM Real Estate saw that there was a real need to have a innovation um, head of innovation. And the way that they set it up <clears throat> at PGM was I have really have three pillars that I, I look over. I have um, the CTO that reports to me and there's about 45 people under her um, globally. And then I am building a data practice and I know data is a big focus for all of us um, and really working on our data governance and our entire data lake um, uh, platform. And then our um, innovation group, which includes um, looking at all different types of prop tech, other types of innovation and um, building out our VC partnerships. So that's kind of um, how uh, I've structured. Well, for being only at it 18 months and having to do it all virtually to, to have that establish those goals and programs that quickly, congratulations, that's a, that's a lot. It's been fun. Uh, so, Justin, um, you've been on this journey a while. A little bit of background on Boxer and you and, and your you know, role in the whole real estate technology conversation. Sure. Um, well, I'm the president of Boxer Property. At Boxer, we own and manage um, office buildings, uh, hotels, retail properties now, uh, increasingly golf courses and restaurants. Um, we have been around for almost 30 years. It's our 29th year. We've got about 16 million square feet uh, across the country and 
we really started focusing on becoming a data-driven organization uh, back in, in 2011, maybe 2010. Uh, honestly, the first time I came to RealCom. And we have really focused on using information effectively in our organization to allow us to do uh, the many different things that we need to do to adapt uh, as a real estate company uh, in today's day and age and stay relevant uh, and stay kind of ahead of what our customers are looking for. Yeah, I mean, and I've followed your journey. You're uh, always the first to understand what's coming, you know, blockchain, um, AI. I mean, you, you're always two, three steps out in front of the uh, crowd. And that takes courage. And sometimes you take some hits. John was talking earlier about, you know, getting hit in the head and lots of bruises. I mean, when you're out in front, you, you have to take chances. And sometimes they all don't work out. Is that a fair statement? I would say most of them don't work out. Uh, our <laughs> our failure to success ratio uh, would be embarrassing um, if we were not in a crowd that valued uh, innovation and and trying things and so forth. And of course, this is a, a you know longstanding cliche, but it, you want to you want to fail quickly. Um, and many of the things that we've tried have not worked. But increasingly, what we've realized is that having control of information and being able to take that information and turn it into an operational outcome is, you know, that, that really kind of ends up being the secret sauce of anything that we've done well. And if we don't have control of the information and we can't operationalize it um, in whatever the context is, then you know, that's where we, we seem to, to, to uh, run into the rocks. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, and, and if you look culturally, two big industries in the U.S., technology and real estate, I, I, when I was growing up early days, you fail, you lose your job. You know, in Silicon Valley, it's fail fast and fail often because they know, you know, iterations of failure would ultimately lead to success. And, and I think that culture is being forced on us and it sometimes does not have good endings. I mean, in a lot of traditional real estate organizations, I was on the phone with uh, somebody who was running an IT organization last week and you know, he said he's still relegated to, you know, making sure email works and that, you know, he's not, he's not on the website listed as a senior leader, you know, in the executive team. And, and they definitely look at it tactically. And John, I mean, is that still not a lot of our industry? I think it is. I think it's changing though. I think, you know, the data aspect of it, we all have to acknowledge that, that our buildings generate a, a ton of data. Uh, but, you know, to say that data is the new oil, uh, you know, it, it's crude oil. And what we need is is good software that ultimately makes sense of the data that we collect so that we can extract the value out of it. You know, we should be looking at occupancy data and using that occupancy data to modulate our fans that, you know, it enhances the experience, uh, decreases our carbon footprint and we use a lot less electricity. So it's things like that where once you, you know, as Sarah said, you create that data lake, you blow up those data, the, the silos that the data used to sit in, and then you can create correlations or see if there are correlations between data sets that never talk to each other. Before. Never talk. That's, that's the critical part is, is the correlations between the seemingly unrelated data. Um, you know, you brought up a good point. Uh, in 2020, there was a story that we, published uh, or republished about six weeks ago, about during 2020, middle of the pandemic, New York City ranging in the five to 10% utilization rate, meaning people inside buildings, 
and yet the energy consumption in New York City did not drop at all. Okay, and they basically said, our buildings aren't equipped. I, I, now you said you had better results because you are more automated. How can we be into this real estate tech thing 25 plus years, 30 years, and have it be 2020 and we can't dial our buildings down a little bit in the event that they're empty? John, you want to start? Uh, that well, well, I think that what people don't realize is that even during a work from home strategy, things have to stay on in the office you know, servers and, you know, refrigerators. And, you know, we still have to provide light and and conditioned air. Uh, so so the, the, to say that, wow, 90% of the people didn't show up for work. And in our buildings, we it was roughly a 30% decrease. And I thought it should be a lot more. But when we really dug into it, and JB&B has actually done some really interesting studies on this, of all the things that ha that are actually still on in the office, even though the vast majority of people aren't there, that's what's driving that electric demand. And it's got so, to change. I mean, I think that has to change. It, it, well, it, it should change. To, but, to jump in, yeah. there, there, during the pandemic, there, there was a very interesting conversation going on between tenants and landlords, and the landlords were saying, you have to pay the rent. And the, the tenants were, were saying, well, we're not using the space. And the landlords still have to condition the air to to be 72 degrees and still have to run elevators and, st and as soon as the landlords if, if if landlords had stopped providing basic services then every tenant in the world would have a legal claim for why they weren't paying rent and so so then you, you know, then you lay the you lay the sustainability carbon discussion paradigm shift on top of this discussion that's a conflict because the buildings are what 45% of the ones who use the energy. We know we got to bring them down. All these legal issues say we bring practical issues say we can't. So uh, I think we all agreed in the green room. This, these are confusing times at best. Uh, and, that, and there's a lot of questions um, that, uh, that need to be answered that are, are going to be hard to get answered. Let's do this. Let's take a, a quick break and hear from uh, one of our great sponsors, Locati, and we'll be back with our um, panelists to uh, wrap up this conversation. Today, workplace leaders like you are in a tough spot. You're facing tension between managing real estate costs, ensuring employee well-being, and finding ways to make sure everyone has the right space for the right activities. Your decisions can be make or break. At Locati, we want to help you get the insights you need for those decisions. So we built a solution that can take data from your existing infrastructure and give you a clear picture of your portfolio, buildings, floors, and spaces. With views of workplace occupancy, ways to gain efficiency, and places to cut costs, you can make workplaces serve your people better, ensuring both productivity and cost savings. Plus, Locati needs nearly no setup time to deliver insights fast without extra maintenance expenses. In over 60 countries, companies are already using Locati to make the right decisions backed by numbers and confidence. Join them today and know you're making all the right moves. All right, let's get right back to our conversation uh, with, with this really great conversation, these great guests. All right, um, we're going to run out of time, so there's two questions I want to focus on. And if you could maybe try to get them answered in 30 seconds or, or less, then we can maybe get one more squeezed in. Um, John, number one lesson in, in regards to real estate technology, innovation, automation, 
What's the number one lesson you learned during COVID? How important communication is. You know, we, we, we all have been doing a lot of work and, and in order to get our buildings back and clean and change the filters and, you know, create apps that, that deliver data ultimately to the phones of, of, our, of our customers. But the, the ability to communicate what we've done and to get those feedback loops quickly uh, is the most important aspect that, that of I've, think, I've seen that, you know, we need that information back quickly. We need the feedback and then we can react appropriately. Sarah, how about you? What's the number one lesson you've learned and you've been at your new job only in COVID? <laughs> I mean, John has a great one with communication. Obviously, that's that's huge. Um, I am very much focused on data and and trying to figure out our data and, and what what we are um, able to extract from from the information that uh, the buildings are providing the um, the accounting the you know the different all the different uh, systems and and the the data that we're pulling out of it and then the what the data scientists can pull from that um, we've really spent a lot of time and a lot of energy looking at at that um, and COVID's given us a, a bit of time to to try to hone in on that in, in a different way than, than we would have been able to um, without this period. Justin, how about you? Uh, you know, I would say that um, we realized, it, notwithstanding the fact that we've always been data-driven and focused on, on, you know, kind of working internationally and having distributed teams, that proximity is a tremendous crutch that, that we have relied on and we had to learn how to live without proximity during COVID. And to the extent that we can get away from relying on proximity, and by proximity, I mean being close to each other and, and, and not having good data and not having good systems and not having good decision-making processes, to the extent that, that we can, you know, kind of come back to a world where we can be together, but we're not relying on proximity for our business to work, then we're going to be able to do some pretty incredible things and we should be prepared for our tenants and customers to to learn those lessons as well because it'll have an impact on their office strategy so i mean if you think about office and retail and other forms of, of real estate though the purpose of real estate is to encourage and allow proximity right that's that you know get in your car in the morning drive to work be in close proximity to your fellow workers get the job done we learned a big lesson in COVID. Does that mean the office, the mall, everything that we go back to after COVID is different? It has to well, be I a think, different kind of real estate? I think that you don't have to have everybody, you don't have to have 300 people in one place. You know, you can have, you can have people in offices where they interact with each other, where they have community, where they have a place that's not home, there's no interruptions, there's no, um, you know, there, there's all the benefits of an office, but you know, I've got leasing agents now in Honduras and they're, they're closing leases from initial inquiry to signing the lease, you know, on the phone with the customer and they can do it from anywhere. And now they don't want to be sitting alone in a coffee shop. You know, they, they need to have a group of people, but the idea that every single person in the company has to come in through public transit uh, from, from 10 different suburbs hassle through the commute, be in a large office with elevators and all that kind of stuff, that that may not 
be necessary in the way that it used to be and companies that learn how to operate in a, in a more distributed way will end up being able to chase talent and chase the sun and you know find um, uh, better cost markets and give people shorter commutes but those kinds of things require information and systems in order to uh, continue to be effective as a company. Okay, I'm going to throw one more quick little question in here. One word answer, yes, no, or maybe. Is the cube farm dead? No. Nope. Nope, okay. So uh, it's going to be different though, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, experiences, we don't have time. This can be a whole other episode, but um, interactive, immersive, high-tech experiences that allow people from outside to participate with people inside. That going to be a big thing? I believe so, yes. Eventually. We're going to be yeah, playing I, around. It, it already is, in a way. Look at what we're doing right now. Right. And, and we put on four hybrid events in the last 18 months, uh, all different iterations of hybrid. We're going to offer some stuff at the conference as well. Um, it, it, the ability to bring people into rooms, and we're going to have some fun with it at the conference, you know, from outside. Some are there. How do they interact? Um, a lot of lessons to be learned. We learned so much over the last 18 months from our event in New York a couple weeks ago, Austin and uh, Denver, uh, where we did our event last year in a, in a hotel uh, ballroom that we constructed a studio and learned how to start creating immersive hybrid experiences. All right, last question. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, but really important. John, what's the technology that you're gonna be focusing on at the top of your list for 2022? Two, two things, uh, CBRS in terms of the infrastructure within our buildings, 150 megahertz of wireless spectrum. And secondly is uh, all sorts of decarbonization strategies. How do, how do we ultimately use less energy, decrease our carbon footprint, procure renewables, prove that we did using blockchain uh, and, and tokenizing carbon intensity or lack thereof? Short term, does that impact, could the cost of doing that impact your NOI? Well, obviously CBRS, there's capital, you know, there's hardware that, that needs to be installed, but I think the applications that will flow off of that infrastructure are gonna be huge and many and plentiful and very, very uh, uh, productive in terms of dollar generation, as well as productivity for our employees uh, or our, our customers uh, in our buildings. Sarah, how about you? What, what are you keeping an eye on uh, high level 2022? I'm going to keep an eye on John's CBRS to see how, <laughs> how that goes. Um, the, we, and I sound like a broken record, but we're going to build out um, our data science capabilities and predictive capabilities even further. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we do have a lot going around uh, ESG technologies, be it EV charging, be it the carbon, be it, uh, you know, a variety of different predictive elements on that. So th those are really our, our focuses. Very good. Justin Cristobal, 22. Well, say for, for us, I mean, we, we've spent the last 10 years working on our, our systems and our collaborative platform and our data um, platform. And I, I think we have really, really good data. What I'm doing in 2022 is is on a mission to kill dashboards. So any dashboard that we see, we're now looking at it as a way of indicating what 
um, interventions we should do uh, programmatically and automatically. And we've deployed some uh, some new tools, including Node-RED and some other things that are really focused on creating the interventions automatically that you would expect somebody to do when they look at a dashboard, because we realized that dashboards are only an interim step, but they're, they're typically quite poorly designed and very ineffectively used. And, and we're ready to transcend all of that and be like in the same way that you were going to be a paperless office, we want to be a dashboardless office. More autonomy, let the, let the systems talk to each other and, and share insight. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for being the chairs of the commercial real estate executive innovation meeting that we're holding at uh, RealCom and IBCon. Thank you for your insights and, and, you know, John, again, a special shout out. You've been on this journey with RealCom for 23 years, uh, not just us, but you know, you're, you've been leading the charge and I will say thank you for that. And, and those scars and, and all that, uh, that hard work is not unnoticed. It really is not. And, uh, that's why you're a part of that. And, and for both Sarah and Justin, that, that lifetime achievement award, you need a little more gray hair. But uh, you are both on target, <laughs> Justin. <laughs> Getting there. <laughs> Getting there. Getting there. All right. Well, thank you all so much. Look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. And uh, be well and have a great weekend. Very good. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Everybody in Scottsdale. All right. With that, let's bring on Howard Berger for the news uh, on real estate technology. And he's going to let us know what happened this week, what's going on, and uh, give us some insight uh, as to what we should pay attention to. It's all that was a great show, Jim. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, I mean, just great having Sarah, Justin, and John uh, with us today, and and also leading the executive summit. Not to, yeah, not to forget that at the conference, and that's going to be on November first. Um, so each week we highlight a couple of stories from our weekly news briefing. It's released every Thursday at eleven a.m. Pacific, and with the RealCom IBCon conference coming up in less than three weeks, we thought we'd take a step a step back and take a look at some of as Jim mentioned, the major paradigm shifts that are hitting us all now at the same time. These shifts are challenging some very ingrained human behaviors that have been established since the post-industrial area. They're technological, financial, biological, sustainability, climate, demographic. And the good news is that over the past couple of years, two years, about 90% of our industry, that may be an exaggeration, has woke to the fact the real estate technology and innovation are inextricably intertwined. It's not just about lease income versus energy and operational costs. It's processes, workflows, comfort and health of occupants, being a responsible global citizen. And this collision of paradigm shifts, I think is gonna be a central theme for the uh, RealCom IBCon program. We'll be discussing it and hotly debating it with some of the world's most respected thought leaders. So. Hope to see you in Scottsdale for our 23rd annual RealCom IBCon. It'll be, it will be thought provoking and it will be fun. Next, shout out to this week's tech partner, Sharp Launch. Uh, in their article, Sharp Launch describes what they see as the basic application stack for a commercial real estate enterprise. And in it, they call out some of the top prop tech solutions for finance and accounting, investment management, tenant engagement, property management, lease and asset management, marketing and sales, and construction management, which they tie up really nicely in an easy to understand immigrant. So great article. Thanks, Sharp Launch. Also, it's pretty much a given that just about any new building being designed today is going to incorporate some level of IP enabled smarts in it. But what about the existing buildings? 
by 2050, about two thirds of all commercial properties that exist today will still be standing. So there will always be a need to ref retrofit with new technologies, especially access control systems. So compared to today's wireless IoT, highly integrated systems, legacy access control systems are very cumbersome, clunky and expensive to maintain. So it makes perfect sense to retrofit, but you gotta have a, you gotta do, you, 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 there are a few prerequisites. First, you need a robust building-wide Wi-Fi connection. Then you need wireless cloud-based access control system. A good system integrator is, can be the difference between success and failure. You'll need the door release devices and a plan to onboard tenants under the new system. But once installed, you can integrate with property management, people analytics-driven workflow programs. So you can really better understand how your building's being used and identify possible problems and opportunities. Lastly, uh, the Facebook outage was a wake-up call for PropTech. So on Monday, October 4th, Facebook and everything that they operate online, including Instagram and WhatsApp and Messenger, crashed. Whatever the cause was, it was a stark reminder that the tech giant, uh, it was a stark reminder that the tech giant with billions of users uh, is the scary canary in the coal mine for our increasingly tech-reliant world. It was one thing that subscribers just couldn't log on to their social media accounts, but the outage went way beyond that. Employees couldn't log on to their business accounts. They required a login, anything that required a login with their work email, including access to their room booking suite. It also hit their operational technology network. So their building infrastructure and the systems controlling their buildings. So what happened to Facebook stands as a pretty hard lesson that in our gigabyte per second, highly connected world, we need to be ever more aware the consequences of potential failures, which seem to be increasingly happening at an ever increasing rate. So with that, that's it for me today. Uh, check out our weekly news briefing and enjoy the weekend and I'll see you all next week. All right, Howard, great news. And, and to focus on that Facebook article a little bit, you're, you know, not too many people dug deep into what happened. Everybody just thought they couldn't get into their social media account, but you are absolutely right. It went down all the way to the operational level. They could not get into buildings. They could not get into cages with servers because everything was so tightly you know, integrated and, and um, connected. So that is a wake-up call. You know, and that's that's part of the that's one of the other events we're going to have at Realcom and IDCom, which is the cybersecurity forum, uh, which is going to focus on cybersecurity as it relates to OT. And we've got some of the brightest minds in the industry who for five years have been working on providing insight. One final thing that, on that lead story, which I did write, um, I think that is turning out to be a central theme, kind of a sub-theme for the conference, the colliding paradigms. We talked about that in the green room with the guests earlier, and we're saying, you know, are there, there everybody's kind of agreeing, there's more questions right now than there are answers. And these aren't little 10-year things, these are major paradigm shifts, technological, financial, biological, climate, demographic, and political. When you take those six, influences and, and, and focus them on a building operationally you know, from a financial standpoint, um, a lot of changes. And, and yeah. I think- And we're at the beginning of the curve of trying to figure out the answers for some of these things. So it's, you know, there's no textbooks written on it yet. There's no. not a lot of experience that can be shared. Uh, we're, we're grappling with that, at, uh, with all of these at a very early stage. So you don't, you don't go through a two year work from home global um, experiment mm -hmm. and come out the same on the other end. You don't. It was it was fast. It was hard. Uh, it, it changed behaviors, and and to think we're all going to go back to the old normal, I think, is a mistake. Yeah, no, I agree.
All right. Well, we're going to hopefully solve some of those questions or solve some of those uh, problems and answer those questions uh, coming up in, like you said, a little less than three weeks uh, in Scottsdale and, and hoping everybody joins us. So, um, all right. Before I uh, close the show and tell you what we're going to talk about next week, let's hear from our final sponsor and that will be right back. All right. And with that, I would like to say thank you to our great guests, our sponsors, uh, the Realcom production team, and to all of you who follow the Realcom live conversation. Uh, we really appreciate you listening. So next week, we're going to take a little deviation from our normal programming uh, routine. We're going to have myself, Howard Berger, and Lisa Woods simply talk about the upcoming conference. Um, you know, the old days, you, you jump on a, in a plane and you go to a conference and you run around and hang around with a bunch of people and you jump through the exhibit floor and you go to a bunch of sessions and talk in the hallways and and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great model, but, but it also needs to be changed. So we have been tweaking our model over the last 18 months. And we're gonna explain to you the deliberate thinking that went into each and every one of the four days of this event. Sunday, health and wellness, a golf tournament that we've been doing for about five years now. And we're gonna talk about our pre-con events. What is a pre-con event? Who attends them? Uh, what kind of meetings take place? Then our opening session, who's gonna be there? Uh, what's our program look like? Why do we choose these topics? And then most importantly, or equally importantly, is all those sponsors and some vendors who are going to be on the exhibit floor. How do you sort through them? How do you figure out what they do? Um, we're going to have a little conversation about that. And the whole goal is that anybody coming to the conference can watch this episode and get as most as humanly possible out of the one, two, three, or four days they spend with us. So with that, I want to say thank you to all of you. You have a great weekend, and we will see you next Friday on Real Combine. Be well.